Welcome to Whole Lot of Wolves, episode 20 of season four. We're your hosts. I'm Joshua Buckley. I'm Paul LePage. And joining us, our social media extraordinaire from Baltimore, Mr. Danny Paletti. How's it going, Danny? Doing pretty good. It's a, been a pretty good week, and I'm finishing off the last of the uh, eggnog from the, eggnog, the holidays. Nice. nice. Yeah, we all survived with our livers, which is incredible, Paul, because this was a week to remember. Now, I know you've you've gone on record as saying the week that when Wolves won the Europa game for the first time with Willie Bolly kicking it in, in in the injury time, uh, followed by the Man City win was your favorite week ever being a Wolves fan. I don't anticipate this past that, but it's got to be up there, isn't it? If that was like an A plus, then this is like at least a B plus, maybe an A minus in terms of just having that um that level of comfort and feeling like that we're we we're doing stuff that we should be doing and like an established Premier League team, which seems an absolute age since we've been able to say that now. You can get carried away, three wins on the bounce, think that we're going to go on a crazy European charge. But realistically, it is just a carbon copy of the form that any mid-table team goes through. So we hit the skids against West Ham, look terrible, and it's all doom and gloom. These results back-to-back make us look like Real Madrid on steroids. So we take the rough with the smooth, but for for a Christmas period, three games back to back in such a short space of time, beating some opposition that we've we've struggled with previously, and obviously they're not where they they expect to be. But any victory versus versus Chelsea is, is a good one. Um, so all of that with with the Christmas spirit, with all the eggnog drunk. You can't beat it. We all said in that podcast leading into those three games, we'd be happy with four points. And, Danny, I don't know about you, but even when they first took the first two, I was like, well, now I don't feel good about this Everton game at all. (laughs) And they still came through with the 3-0 win. I mean, how surprised are you on a scale of 1 to 10 that they got nine points? Uh, 10. 11 mm-hmm. 23 i don't know yeah. <laughs> uh all the way at the top um yeah i felt the same way where it's like because i was only expecting four maybe six points six points would have been great that was kind of the stretch goal that you know once we achieved that it was like pressure's off but then you immediately have that feeling of like pressure's off is not a good place to be for this team <laughs> i want the team. pressure on um but i mean i think it was also a good um a good run of of sort of fixtures where um you know having that last game be at home and uh and just before new year's is just you know it creates the atmosphere in itself plus all the stuff that was specific to that to that weekend and so i think it sort of helped us over the line a bit but each game was better than the last i remember watching the chelsea game at, at uh in the media room in ohio <laughs> at my uh, partner's family's house and uh that was a nervous affair. And then uh, listening to the Brentford game on the way home, driving home in the rain all the way, uh, it was 
not made any more calm by what I was listening to until the goals started flooding in. Um, but then by the Everton game, I was starting to feel extremely relaxed. I mean, what what more can you ask for? I think just with that Everton game, as soon as that five-minute mark came around and the, the tribute to Lamina, you just had a feeling that it yeah. was a game that they would not lose. And again, yeah. when we got the first goal and that celebration that went with it, it was just like building on top of it that we seemed invincible that day and nothing was going to stop us from getting three points in that Everton game. Just seemed like a perfect storm of everything coming together. Exactly. Paul, Paul I think that the man of the week for those three weeks was Lamina because he affected all three games. He scored in the first two. And like you said, that third one after Kilman scored and they went and got his, his kit and ran it over to the stands. I was like, they're not fucking losing this game. Like, exactly. They, yeah. They were, they were, they were on a mission for him. I mean, do you think it's silly to even say he was man of the match in that Everton game? <laughs> I think that the, the spirit was, was certainly there and, that helped a lot and his spirit and influence was certainly felt in the middle of the park, even though he wasn't playing because I thought both um, Joe Gomez and Tommy Doyle in that game were phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. Doyle personally, myself was really close to, to man of the match. I think it could have been a, a toss up between those two. And I think even the, the wall social media channels have started trotting out that, move that they put together in the second half that resulted in Gomez's shot. If that had gone in, you'd have been looking at just, again, another goal of the season, which we're totally unaccustomed to talking about. And and to top off a performance for Joe Gomez, that he certainly turned around any types of blips that he was going through in these past few weeks and looking like a snip for He's 15 million, and if he starts adding those types of goals to his game, then, geez, we've got a player on our hands. He had 10 total tackles in that 4-1 Brentford win, which was more than any other Premier League player this season. And he's a youngster. I mean, it just... Danny, this team is so easy to rally behind, I feel like. Um, Because, again, I feel like it's genuine good guys again. And I think a lot of that has to do with their young kids with a little chip on their shoulder to an extent. And there's not the, there's not the, I I feel like something I worried about in the uh, transition from last season to this season was that it felt like we all sort of rallied around the flag last season because we were in trouble. And even with the loss of some important names, I just felt like, is the spirit still going to be there to keep fighting? Cause like I've, I still felt confident that this was a team that was good enough to stay in the league yeah, and fairly comfortably. So not like, you know, pushing for Europe or even necessarily in the middle of the table, but you know, uh, safe uh, without a ton of effort. And I was just worried that when that set in, if that sets you up for a rough season where you're just can't quite recapture that same, you know, backs against the wall feeling. Um, but whether it's, you know, the recruitment, which I think plays a part, um, the people that we got last January or Gary O'Neill or, you know, a combination of all those things uh, and maybe some other factors as well, 
uh, you know, maybe Kilman growing into his role. You know, it just feels like apart from the the connection with the fans, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, it's just like there is there is still that sort of like scrappy, um, you know, team quality about it where like everybody's fighting for each other again, uh, which is really refreshing, to be honest. Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, you know, the the bond with the fans. I really thought I really enjoyed Gary O'Neill coming out and going, look, I got it. Wolverhampton fans probably weren't too thrilled when I got hired. I get it. And I, I feel like, yes, that's going to add a chip on your shoulder. But I think most people would kind of hold it against the fans for feeling that way. And it seems like with O'Neill, he was more motivated to prove the fans wrong, but also to embrace them at the same time. It, it almost made him closer. Um, Paul, how how rare is that, do you feel like, from a football manager? I think it is pretty rare, but what I think is the saving grace here and what stands O'Neill in good stead is that he's not too far removed from actually being out on the pitch so he gets it. He gets that. He gets the the, the modern day um, fan that that thirst for immediate success and everything that goes with it. So I think it's been a combination of him reacting to that. I think the club have done a phenomenal PR exercise on him. I really do in terms of his sound bites making himself uh, available. Um, but I think you know. Even even if he has to recognise that he's got a job himself to do in terms of presenting himself in the right way, he's done it very genuinely. And what he comes out with, the, the average supporter listens to and understands. It's not a bunch of waffle. It's not a bunch of cliches. It, it, it's genuine. And I think if you've got any type of football coach, media facing who's coming out with those statements, presenting himself and, and the team. He's, he's very much a, a team first coach and putting those guys first and saying that's what he's here to do rather than look at me. I've just, you know, I've, I've put this team on a three-match winning run and they're fantastic. It's always been about the team. So I think that stands him in good stead. Danny, is it surreal to think that a year ago, Wolves were sitting bottom of dead bottom of the table. Yeah. Um, we've, we've come a long way, baby. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean a little over a year ago. Cause of course I remember watching that eight Nori winner it back mm -hmm. in Ohio. Um, but it's, it's a crazy thing to look back on, especially like I said, with the, the squad that's been built over the last year. Um, and it's continuing to be built to think about the players that came in in January and how they're still having an impact. You know, uh, I think we talked on a previous podcast when I look back through my text with my with my friend about Lamina and what I had to say about him then. I was like, yeah, he's, you know, like I think it's a decent depth option. You know, I think like he's going to provide some good backup to Neves when we need someone to be a DM or whatever. And clearly from that, I could not fathom, you know, the uh, the role that he would end up playing both, you know, um, as a teammate, but also on the pitch to the point where, I mean, you know, can keep this a little bit quiet, but he's one of the better DMs in the league currently. 
Um, you know, that's something I've been thinking about as he keeps scoring goals, scoring against Chelsea and against Brentford. And it's not like he's at the end of his career. And people keep talking about the youngsters that we have, which people might come after. I mean, there are plenty of teams that would like a Lamina in them, you know, uh, whether for depth or as a starter, because if you can get him doing that um, in any other team, that that's something that a ton of teams need. You know, I mean, you think of God, I don't even want to speak it into existence, but <laughs> but all the problems Man United are having uh, keeping goals out. Let's just let's just not think about it anymore. <laughs> let's not go into it. I don't think he'd be up for a move in January. I think he's really bedded into the Wolverhampton spirit. Uh, no, now, now, come summer, when you start seeing the dollar signs, that could change. But he seems like somebody that he's gone to places for the dollar signs and he wasn't happy. Um, yeah. So it could be, could be one of those deals. And Paul, that January window now, we're looking back. Holy cow. Dawson, Lamina, Gomez, Cunha. Like, that has to go down as one of the best transfer windows for Wolves, right? And Especially Sarabia. For Don't forget Sarabia. Oh, yeah, Don't Sarabia. Boy, yeah. Sarabia. Yeah. <laughs> I listed in the show notes, I started writing unsung heroes over mm -hmm. the course of these three games and the form that they've come into. But really, it's more like heroes in general just because the collection of them together have been phenomenal but right towards the the top of the list for me is Sarabia because he's kept he's come in he's kept his place he's he's creating he's he's found like a knack of fitting in pretty much perfectly with with the way that the team set up even playing five at the back where I think previously he's looked at as a little bit of a luxury and it was, it was a struggle to accommodate him. Now it's, he's effectively one of the heartbeats of, of the creative output. You add that to the fact that he can deliver a dead ball and we genuinely look a threat from corners, which again, I'm nearly falling off my chair and saying that, but <laughs> When you've got Lamina scoring back to back from from heady goals that have either come directly or or uh, reworked from from a corner, then you're looking at a big team with with the three at the back: Toti, Dawson, Kilman coming up. Lamina's a threat. You, you've got Sarabia delivering those balls in. So that's that's another weapon in our in our armory. So mention him. Talked about Joe Gomez already. Um, Lamina. Cunha is just out of this world at the moment. He's and on fire right now. Um, um, unbelievably so. And if this keeps up, he, he's making that initial outlay look like an absolute steal. Whereas this time last year, we were all really nervous that they're throwing all the eggs in this Cunha basket and, and will he deliver? And it might have took him time to, to settle in a new country, different league. But he's certainly delivering. And at the same time, he seems like such a sound guy. And I think what we what we finally rediscovered is that we've got that spine of the team back. You know, we've got that Raul replacement of sorts with a combination of Cunha and, and Wang now. We've got that Neves replacement with um with Lamina certainly in the middle. And then 
at the back we we we've got that solidity again from 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 the three centre backs and often a, a reliable goalie with his flaws, but certainly when when you add all that together, we've just got that that spine the team that looks really really solid. I thought it was funny on that Wolverhampton Wanderers news uh, Facebook group. Oh yeah, Cunha's awful. Uh, this was after the four one. After the four one, Cunha's awful. Wolves should have had like six goals in there if Cunha could do anything and blah blah blah. And I was like. What the fuck are we doing? We were doing this one four one, and you're sitting there complaining about Cunha. That is <laughs> no sense to me. It's just absolutely absurd. I agree with you guys. Yeah, here it is. Why didn't we bring a striker on in the second half? Cunha wasn't here. Couldn't run or score. Bring Sasa on. We could have scored five or six easily, but no striker. People are idiots, man. <laughs> that's the, like that dude that that's was the internet for you. Oh, that's like that. Uh, uh, Everton guy on Sunday who was trying to be like, oh yeah, all the Wolves players should have gotten reds for time wasting for getting the jersey. Come on, man. I hate people. It's, it honestly shocked me. Maybe it's because I wasn't uh, as deep into Wolves Twitter uh, in our, our most recent good form, you know, under Nuno. Mm-hmm. But the the shocking quality of like of takes even after a good run of games. So I I had a little interaction with uh someone on Twitter uh, while I was out celebrating the the Everton win. So keep in mind we've currently taken nine points from nine and mm-hmm. scored nine goals. And I I just put out this tweet that said you know did anyone have a poor performance? You know like I was trying to think about like anybody who you could say who wasn't pulling their weight at least if not you know, performing really well. And I, I just ran through, you know, some some names I thought stood out to me. And I got this reply that was, you are so far from being correct. Man of the match is Sarabia. Ryan Ate Nori is useless. Bueno is a mile better. And I just said, like, I thought everyone played well. Sarabia, Bueno, bueno included. And he just said, Ryan Ate Nori does nothing other than piss around with the ball. Come back at me at the end of the season. It's just we just watched him ball out against three different teams or two different teams. <laughs> I generally was... think that's been a massive uh like realization of how important he is to the team because mm-hmm. we generally look like a different team when when he's starting. And whether it's balance or communication or what he offers uh attacking wise, it's just night and day to me. And he, he fits in perfectly. Him and yeah. him and think, Wang work really well together on that left side. Like they yeah. they really have good, not even not a verbal communication. Like they just know where the other one's going to be. Yeah, I mean he drives us up the field. It's it's not mm-hmm. that difficult. Which I mean I I went into a whole thing with this guy until I got bored of it. <laughs> but I won't re- recap it all. But it's he drives us up the field. It's the same reason that Cunha is valuable. Because he moves us up the field. <laughs> he yeah. carries the ball with him. Some players move us up the field like Tommy Doyle with, with passing. <laughs> Ryan Aitnori, with the ball at his feet, moves us up the field. And he's also like, I don't know. We don't need to go into it. He's pocketed solid. Get out of here, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't believe that with the Cunha one, too. I was just like, <laughs> we just won 4-1. And we're complaining that we, we can't, didn't score we 5 We can't or just six. enjoy a good thing. Believe <laughs> man. It's It's nuts. <laughs> Uh, Paul, what was your favorite goal of the nine that were scored? 
That's a good one now that I'm thinking. And it's I'm thinking hard through to choose. all of them. It is hard to choose. I'm thinking um, like, it's like if one was majorly significant. I think what I'll what I'll go for is probably Cunha's versus Everton mm -hmm. in that for the, for that game and again it it's what gave me the confidence in 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 a weird way was um the chances that Wang was squandering like he had that really earlyish one i think within the first 10 minutes when he rounded Pickford and it was like just shoot you know uh, and that opportunity so why i really like that um Cunha one is that he set it up so even though he wasn't on the score sheet in that game, he he was a threat, and he he really gave their backline the run around. So if you're able to do that in a game, not score but still directly impact that, I'm going for for that goal just for the combination in play and having Cunha in the right place at the right time to get on the score sheet. Danny, what was your favorite of the goals? Yeah. That was a really good one, like Paul said, sort of unsung in the sense that, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't the fastest counterattack. It was just, you know, a well set up play. So I just want to call out that, you know, it's just something that we don't do that sort of like um, direct, but not necessarily with with pace um, where the space is made and then we move into the box and score. Simple. Uh, but obviously I have to pick the uh, second Wangle against Brentford. I didn't get to see it live. I had to watch it back the next morning because, I, like I said, I was in the car at the time. Um, but good Lord, that ball. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember if I put it in our group text or, or a different group text, but I said that 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 touch before the the shot is uh, Podence-esque, dare I say it. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it was it was phenomenal. It's just like, it, I think they said it in the comment and at least one of the different commentaries I listened to that, um, you know, it, it's just the mark of a striker who is full of confidence. He he takes that ball. It's not that simple. It's kind of coming over his shoulder in a way where he has to sort of let it catch up to him. And then to take that touch and that flick and then uh, strike that volley is so difficult. And it's one of those that uh, is more impressive because of how easy it makes it look. I think when he scored that 10th goal, didn't he have 10 goals with 11 shots on goal for the year? Yeah, that's <laughs> a kind of a wild set. And I actually looked into it because um, FB ref had it as 10 out of 10. And then I think somewhere else, like the Premier League, so somewhere else said uh, 10 out of 12. And it's like all a question, like there's a header against Palace and a shot against Arsenal. And it's just whether or not you count those as being on target. But yeah, he has something in the neighborhood of uh, 10 goals. Well, now 11 goals out of 11 shots on target, which is just a wild conversion rate. <laughs> I did I did love uh, Hoying's goal after Collins just inexplicably just kicked it back to the to the keeper. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I love how just Hoang took his time. He's just like do 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 the player <laughs> blasted in there. That's uh, those are always fun when you got the open goal like that. Um, even that was really well taken just because mm -hmm. I mean he could have gone down. You know, he yeah. he had a touch just before the keeper gets there 
And he could just as easily go down and hope for a penalty if he doesn't feel confident that he's going to get in eventually. But he slows up a second and gets it past the keeper, knowing that he's going to put it in. And I was really impressed with that, even though obviously it looks like they completely gifted it to us. And the nice thing, Paul, no VAR drama in any of these games. Amazing. I know. Doesn't it that make was a that was the Christmas miracle. Yeah, <laughs> truly. I think, especially looking at that Chelsea game, like a, a late winning goal, it was just like, when's it? When's it going to happen? How are they going to discount that? You know. So mm-hmm. I, I will admit, when Sterling dove in those yeah. last minutes, I and even though I could see on the replays that it was obvious, no contact. I was just like, this is going to get given. This is going to get given. This is just like the one against Newcastle. This is going to get given by VAR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I hate Sterling so much. I'm so glad he's not an American. <laughs> I don't know how you can deal rooting for him on the national team, team Paul. It's it, it's a struggle. They were, they were <laughs> talking about his absence on our common trainer. I was like, well, I quite kind of quite like it that he's not involved, so... <laughs> Our good thing, our good friend Clive used to call him a waste of skin. That was <laughs> always enjoyed that. Okay, Paul. So, how do they carry this momentum, and how does the second half of the season look now? I think it really filters in into this next game, and if they can, if they can win on on Saturday, it it'll kind of be like the cherry on the top of the cake for this stage of the season where realistically that those wins over the Christmas period pretty much made us safe you know as 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 weird as that sounds that's that that's the feeling and the feel good factor and, and what it leads to you just now know they, they got the momentum that they're not they're not going to drop enough points to get dragged into relegation battle so i think a win on on friday a passage through into the the fourth round of the cup that's where we can really um kick on momentum wise and then you're going to get a lot of fans really thrive off of that and think we can have a good second off the season you can take the handbrake off um he's got a team that now we we know it's got goals in it. So what can it achieve? And if we have this good run added to potentially an FA cup run, which we could go pretty deep in, Mm -hmm. it could be turning to to a phenomenal season. Yeah. It's, it's super excited. Danny, what are, have your expectations changed now just with the last month and really the home stretch that they've been on lately? Um, yeah, I, I try to think of it more in ter- in terms of form. So, I mean, the, the short answer is yes. You know, I want us to continue with a similar sort of points per game uh, if we can. And and if anything, it should, in theory, improve because you know, I think we talked about a lot in the first part of the season that we had such a tough schedule. And part of that was that we were playing all the quote unquote winnable games, you know, Luton, Burnley, Sheffield away. And we're playing all the difficult games at home, City and Spurs. Of course, we saw how that played out. So now in theory, it should be 
flipped. You know, the last half of the season, we should see more of the teams around us or below us um, at home. And then we'll have to go away to city and go away to Spurs and whatever. So, I mean, there should be a better opportunity to pick up points as long as we keep, um, keep picking up uh, good points at home. You know, those are all great theories. And and I'm sure that, uh, you know, we'll have our, our ups and downs, but I think, you know, I have sort of slightly readjusted my thinking about what I expect from, uh, from the rest of the season. Not that I necessarily expect us to be uh, pushing for Europe. Cause I just think, especially it's so dependent on the table and, you know, it's, it's such a, it looks like such a weird year to me where you have these teams like, like say Brighton who were great last year and are struggling, but are still above us. Uh, and then other teams like Villa who, you know, were nowhere near the top, uh, last year you know they they snuck into europe but like are doing fantastically it's just such a weird season and relying on the table to let you into europe i think is a fool's game but i think you know just seeing a similar level of points per game i i'd be happy if we're still keeping uh keeping good results at molyneux and getting the odd result on the road and honestly that's in some ways more important is like getting good solid uh, displays away from home, especially mm-hmm. defensively, that would represent a good improvement. And I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, this is all this little hot streak does is adds a little more fuel to the fire with how will they back Gary O'Neill? And Paul, the transfer window has been open for two days already. We've seen Fabio leave on loan, which I saw some people were upset he wasn't just sold outright but then kind of reading more on ffp it makes more sense to just have him go out on loan and also hope he brings in some of his value um but then a surprising one too it looks like frazier's going out on loan and sasa that's been talked about but o'neill said well he can't leave right now because he's like the only true number nine on the on the roster what do you think is going to happen there at the number nine spot? Good question. I think they will, for this particular window and the cushion that's been given to them, thanks to the performances and where they are in the league table, I don't think they have to um, panic in any way um, with the type of player that they want to bring in. I, I've got a feeling they've probably got their their top three targets. Um, if they can't get their, their main one, they may sit on it and get someone of a similar profile, not a marquee name by any stretch, but, but someone that could come in and take up that more number nine profile that it looks like O'Neill wants in terms of leading the line. And, and being that that central fulcrum, knowing that if during the summer, then if FFP shackles are totally removed or their main guy or guys come available, they can then go after them and know that their guy from this winter could still battle for a place off the bench and, and be there should it be needed in terms of depth. So... I generally see us 
and it's going to cause consternation because they'll be saying, oh, well, you know, why, why are they going after after him? But I could definitely see this type of player being a, a Trey Adams from Southampton. They'll revisit that, bring him in for six to eight million because he's in the last few few months of his contract. Um, but personally, I, I could see him doing quite well and I could see him chipping in with four or five, maybe six goals through to the end of the season and, and looking like quite an astute signing um, and then being ready-made as that guy off the bench or that squad player for next season. Of course, Danny, you also have to think too, how much do they really want to invest considering nobody they bring in is probably going to be a regular starter. It, best case would be, like Paul was saying, a squad player, just somebody that rotates because of fitness yeah i mean it's like paul said it i think it's gonna be tricky and and extra tricky because january is just inherently difficult to to work in i don't think i appreciated that enough until thinking about you know in the lead up to this january the the whole fabio scenario where it's like you know we we were always on the other end of it god we need a number nine or we need whatever uh, and it's so difficult because if a player is doing well at another club, they don't want to give them up and you got to pay extra. Um, if they're out of favor, then do you really want them? You know, like, is there a reason that that they're out of favor or they're not playing well or whatever? But it can also be difficult from the other end of it. You know, when you have this out of favor player like Fabio, you know, do you. Is it possible to get what you see as a fair valuation, even though he's down the pecking order at Wolves, you know, he still could be a very useful player to someone like Rangers or someone in Europe. Um, and so I think for that, for that reason, you know, like Paul said, I think, I hope, and I believe that, you know, what we've seen from Hobbs so far is that we're not going to be, you know, held over a barrel for a player, especially one that is not someone that can be useful over the next 18 months and like that's sort of the time frame because i was just thinking the other day that you know it's not it's a weird zero-sum game because it's not like you you think about going shopping for a striker or or any soccer player and you think like oh well if you don't get your first choice you just get your second choice like you're going to the supermarket and it's like i'm gonna get a i'm gonna get an apple and if I don't find a perfect apple, then I'll get an apple that has like a small bruise on it. And that's fine, too. But the difference is that, like, at the end of the season, you still have that apple and they're on a contract for two more years, you know? So it's like if you go with your second choice and there was a reason why they were your second choice, they're still on your books. And even if your first choice is now available in the summer, you're not going to go get them. So I I, I think that they're going to keep that in mind. Uh, it, it looks like it. It looks like they're not. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. But I, the the language I'm hearing from Gary O'Neill is that as much as the Sasha to to uh, Frankfurt deal seems very likely, I don't think that it's you know a foregone conclusion. I think that there is a scenario where he stays just because we can't get our targets in, and we say, look, you're going to get the minutes you're going to get, and if it's really still not working out the summer, then we'll move you on then. I think what I enjoyed, Paul, was, you know, news came out that they got uh, Fletcher Holman, the 19-year-old striker, and people were mad about it. Like, oh, what are we doing? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, 
Well, I mean, it's still good to get some young players coming in. Not everybody's going to come into the squad and score 20 goals. You mean the next Jamie Barty? Yes, he has the next Jamie Barty. <laughs> he does kind of have the same haircut, doesn't he? <laughs> so it, it does look like uh, Rodrigo Gomez from Braga has some legs. Um, what do you think about that, Paul? And what do you consider to be a fair price? What stood out to me with that particular one is, um, well, it's a couple of things really, is that they're very uh, um, distinct in the type of player that they're going after and that he seems to fit from from the clips on YouTube and, and the scout reports and things like that. He seems to fill potentially two or three different roles, which... I think that versatility is a big deal for O'Neill. So I think that stands him in good stead. I think there's potentially a role for him as a, an attacking right wing back, which we haven't got. And um, Samedo hasn't got that genuine challenge when it comes to someone coming off the bench that we could look to offensive authority on to try and close out a game so that's interesting and and the other fact i think is is it is still part of the mendes stable so that door's not being closed but it's certainly i feel a potentially statement from hobbs to say yeah we'll take a look at your guys if they fit they fit but we're not going to buy an apple that's bruise just because it comes from the Mendes stable we've got some we've got some other options on our uh, in, in our grocery aisle now thank you Mr Mendes <laughs> yeah I think Geddes was the last um the last bad apple that we got from him I I'm okay with us not completely shutting the door on Mendes because he has a shitload of clients we just you know definitely don't rely on him Sasa, big sassy Paul, would you leave if you were him? Would you request to leave? I would do, just based on the fact that um it's a Euros year, so he's in contention, I think, for the, the Austrian squad. Um he he's so he's got that at the back of his mind. He's still recovering from a serious knee injury as well. So you've got that dynamic at the same time you, you need to build up your minutes to come back from uh, injury you need to at the same time play yourself into form to try and make your national squad so he's in a pretty tricky conundrum so even if he he loved it here and he had some options off the bench to come on and score like like he, he has done then I think the option just to go elsewhere and guarantee um a certain amount of minutes is just important for him individually for what he wants to do. It's sad, Danny. I, I thought that's the one criticism I may have of O'Neill is why he hasn't used Sassy, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just something on the training ground we're not seeing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it's clearly just and it, to a certain extent, it makes sense. You look at what he likes out of the forwards. Clearly, you know, pressing intensity is a big thing for him. And I think Sasha does a decent job for, for who he is. But it's just based on his build, it's never going to really be a huge part of his game. 
I was shocked that we saw so many minutes from Cunha over these three games and basically yeah. a week. But clearly that guy can go forever. Uh, and I don't think that if Sasha were a starting striker that he would be seeing, he would be able to complete those kinds of minutes doing that job. I mean, Sasha's always been a bit of a weird one. I always, I mean, I think most fans always liked him. He seems like such a nice guy. Um, he's clearly, you know, got a great uh, goals to minutes ratio uh, for the times that he has come on. But at the same time, I was kind of, at the time, I was very curious what Bruno Lage wanted with that profile of player. It didn't make a ton of sense to me then. And then we never got to find out because he played 45 minutes. And we maybe never will find out, you know, what the plan was for him. And it just doesn't seem like the plan is to play to his strengths, which is, uh, I will say, to your point, a little bit unfair, because I do think that, you know, he gets cast as this head on a stick that is going to just head in goals. But yeah, really, like, great with this for, for such a big, for such a big guy, he's got some very good ball control. He has had some very good um you know, longer passes to set people up. Um, so that's always going to be maybe a, a what if kind of thing. And if he does go, I, I'm definitely going to be interested in what happens with him. Cause I think, you know, there's a lot of talent there. It's just, maybe it just doesn't fit, but yeah, maybe, maybe something that we're not seeing. So other than Sasa and Johnny, who's almost assuredly dead man walking, if somebody will give us, you know, a couple quid. <laughs> um, maybe maybe it should be for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, Paul. I don't know. Um, do you see anybody else leaving, Paul? Never going to let anybody it go. else on the way out. I I don't. I think we're um, we got a nucleus of a, of a good squad, and other than potentially those those on the fringes. Um, the youngsters who might be looking for that that loan move, um, I think we we we're pretty well set, and I think we can the way we're doing right now certainly gives those that are maybe attracting the attention of the the vultures some confidence that they could at least stick around for um, to see how the season works out. Come come and then come the end of the season, take a look at. at where they are and what they could accomplish because if they've had a f phenomenal season it could set them up for that big move or it could say well you know we're on the cusp of something special here at the walls you know we've gone in mm -hmm. we've got to find ourselves in the Europa Conference League something crazy like that which many wouldn't have imagined and, and there you go you're playing European competition again so um I think there's an, there's enough positives to keep the momentum going forward, certainly to the end of the season. I'd consider it a huge success if they played in conference. Like that would be that would be yeah. huge, and oh, I, I do agree. It was it was like the Europa one. I mean, everyone on that team wanted to stay to get that European experience, and and I do feel like even if they did make that third level tournament still keep a lot of guys i think because they probably look at it and go we could win an actual trophy here even though it's not the biggest trophy we could win a trophy and you know earn a spot in the level up could be interesting yeah the only other one that i'd say could potentially go out is uh and i know this quite doesn't quite count because he wasn't here before but uh yursa mascara mm -hmm. um 
is back from being in the MLS and apparently being looked at. So um, if they feel like he's not up to being a backup, which I mean, like that would be a, if he was up to being a backup for for our three main center backs plus Santi Bueno, that would work out great because having five for those three positions would mm-hmm. be perfect. Um, but I think that there's a decent ish chance that uh, they decide that he needs another loan for the second half of the season and then they find someone else to be a backup center back. And I think that's a good plan for these young guys, get them a lot of experience in MLS, not a great league, not a bad league. Um, then have them come back, have them go down to championship, which is step up, I think from MLS and then see what you got. So that could be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we also have to think, Hey, next year, Dawson's not getting any younger, you know, Kilman and Tody maybe getting some looks next year. So that could be, I mean, Real Madrid wants Tody Gomez, right? <laughs> Paul, overall, if I had to give you put your put your mortgage on it, how many incomings for Wolves this month for the first uh, two? Two, two, two. I think we'll get a um, we'll get we'll get that centre forward, and we'll get a, a uh, an attacking player as like a, a wide forward or a winger. Okay. Danny? Yeah, I think two, maybe three. And the third being, you know, someone sort of similarly who's flexible, who can either play uh, somewhere across the back line or maybe, um, you know, a scenario where they're they're also capable of playing like a wingback role or something. Mm-hmm. I think there's a possibility of that, again, sort of depending on what's going on with Mosquera and whatever. But yeah, two or, two or three. I could see one. I could see just one coming in. And again, oh yeah, I wouldn't be upset with it. I do think we need that number nine, though. So, well, and again, how much do you want to upset what's going pretty well at the bingo. time? Bingo, so. bingo. Yeah, you don't want to bring in somebody that's going to be pissed off because they're not getting a ton of minutes because that does not seem to be that big of an issue with this squad. I think Sarabia was a little miffed for a while. But he seems, you know, he's earned his place back. All right. FA Cup third round. It's kicking off on Friday at 2.15 Eastern, 1.15 Central. It's everybody's favorite middle of the day fixtures because of the international <laughs> audience demand by all accounts yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> so with us to help preview the opposition from the brentford nycb supporting group it's abby goyle how's it going abby good how are you good, good. i mean so... it could be better but life is good <laughs> life is good <laughs> So, you know, it's kind of Groundhog Day with a repeat of a fixture that happened uh, less than a week ago. Um, Obviously, we'd be hoping for the same results. But, um, you know, how relevant do you think that result is in terms of the approach you guys are going to take? I I wouldn't consider this upcoming game to be pretty similar to the next one. 
Uh, I think in a different season, maybe we would have considered this uh, prep matchup kind of a warm-up for an FK FA Cup match. Um, I believe we actually play you for our spring fixture not too not too long after that. So uh, mm -hmm. we'll get pretty sick of each other, I think, by the end of it. But I think the situation that the club's dealing with right now, we we have so many games lost to injury. Uh, we are so far down our roster that I think that's really forced a change in our strategy between the two games. And um, I don't know if Brentford can really afford to treat this FA Cup fixture with maybe the gusto they would have gotten at it last year. Uh, or just in any year where we had a little bit more of the roster freed up, I think um, maybe in normal game circumstances we would have tried to rotate the squad a little bit, but there would have been enough strength in the lineup to really cause a challenge. And I think now after the last stretch of games, it really has become kind of an emergency rotation, um, just avoiding injuries at all costs, uh, leading into an international break and, and making it a longer break than we otherwise could have. So in terms of that squad depth, are we likely to see any of the youngsters or emerging talent that you've got coming through that our listeners might not have seen up to this point playing for Brentford? Yeah, I think I think necessarily. I think um, well, I think both that and you and a couple of the youngsters you have seen. I think uh, these squad depth issues they create other issues in turn. Uh, I think in our uh, in our matchup last week, you probably saw some substitutions happen that wouldn't otherwise be very rational. But we're now making substitutions to save our game healthy players rather than making them necessarily in response to the tactical situation in the game. So there are a couple youngsters who have been rushed into service uh, a little bit sooner than we would have liked. Uh, there probably are going to be a couple that um, that are in the squad for the first time. Uh, at least that's what we think uh, from from the fan perspective. Uh, but but there, there, there are a few people who have gotten game experience this season who we're pretty excited about. Uh, Yarmuluk um, started the game against the Wolves, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts again. Uh, and then a, a lot of our regular starters are pretty young also, but I think at this point we really just have to preserve their legs. So what do you imagine the lineup looking like and what type of formation? I have to think um, the lineup is going to be a good bit younger. Uh, we might put in a captain with some seniority just to command the squad and give them a learning experience. Uh, maybe not one of our regular captains. We really don't have a lot of depth at center back that I know of. So we might see some of our re uh, regular starters at center back again, uh, which at this point I believe would be, would be a selection of Collins and, uh, and Pinnock. And I, I do think me would be available again for this FA cup matchup right so that's two of three and um and that's a situation where at least on defense we'd have a little more experience and i think it's basically anything goes from there on out um on the attack we have a couple of youngsters like um Kigbe, who has been in the squad but not really gotten minutes yet this might be a good opportunity for that in a formation um we've been kind of switching between a back five and a back for a couple times lately. Uh, I don't think it really could have gotten wor gone worse for Brentford in the last matchup against Wolves, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a different defensive approach, uh, especially one that 
allows the back line to push up a little higher, uh, given the way that the Wolves' offense was kind of poaching our back passes in uh, the last time we matched up. And finally, uh, Nathan Collins, was he a um, secret agent for us? So, um, so I, I'm, I, I don't want to badmouth him too much because he is starter quality, I believe. Uh, this was a really uncharacteristically bad game, right? Uh, players have them. The trouble is, again, when you have this thin of a squad, one standout bad performance really hits hard. And uh, I think I think last game already, you saw his, his head was uh, back on his shoulders. So I think if he's back in this game, I think it'll be more about a redemption story, or at least I hope. So I don't think secret agent so much as... Uh, Somebody in the crowd was saying something that got to him, or he was just having a really, really bad week. For, for the record, I was very disappointed that we sold him off because I do think he's quality. Yeah, and I, I mean, but for last week, I would have, I would have been talking him up. I think I, I really like seeing him play. And finally, Arby, what can we do collectively for everyone's sanity to avoid a replay and not have four games in the space of a month? Oh, uh, to avoid a replay. Uh, I think I think you should rotate your squad too. Is what I think. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe give Huang a break. Uh, well, good know, news. You, you've seen... <laughs> he's got an enforced uh, one. Must have missed the news. He's oh, okay. he's in uh, the Asia Cup. So there you go. All right there. Yeah, there you go. He was a he was a killer against us, and I mean he's been really solid this season. So I think that's one thing. Um, you know the this FA Cup matchup does kind kind of come at an inconvenient part of the season because I think it's a great tournament, but I think there's a lot of clubs that would like to to be able to afford to to treat it with a little more more weight. So um, so I think there's a bit of that, and I think there's also just remembering that it's a different competition than the league. You know, our our next league matchup might be similar to our last one, but this is kind of a break in between. Well, thanks. We really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, appreciate you making the time, RP. Thanks for having me. Always, uh, always good to talk with other, with fans of other teams. Whole Lot of Wolves is self funded, so if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities as a way to reach a niche audience, email hello at wholelotofwolves.com for our sponsor packages. Just want to make a contribution as a listener who enjoys the show? Then head to buymeacoffee.com/wlwpod. That's buymeacoffee.com/wlwpod. We greatly appreciate any contribution. Up the Wolves. All right. Thanks to Abby Goyle from Brentford NYCBs. Paul, what do you have the what do you think about that? I think it it factors in to similarly what what we're facing, not so much in terms of an injury crisis, but having to balance the demands of this point in the season the loss of players who've gone away uh, on international duty. Like we've lost two starters. And when, when you take that out of you starting 11, that's a lot to make up, you know? So um, especially given both of their impacts this year and again, how how they fit into this particular team. So that that's a big deal for me. But I think what it what it will lead to is that I think he'll still go out there and be competitive, but we will we will have some rotation 
based on what worked well um, in that victory the other day. And by that, I could see um, potentially Breno coming back in for uh, for Dawson. I could see um, Tommy Doyle retaining his place. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see Neto starting and saying, go on and have 60 minutes. Well, have the first half. See how you're feeling after 55, 60. Um, Cunha, I think at the moment they've got to purely based on Wang not being there. He'll be central, and I could see Sarabia getting rested and see Bellegarde start uh, and in that wider right midfield position. But even if you had that, maybe question mark over Saar versus Bentley. The whole do you shuffle your keeper for the cup competition? I wouldn't be surprised if if Bentley starts. Yeah. Um, but even then, it's a pretty pretty strong and tasty eleven to go away in a in a formation he knows that's pretty solid to a team like Brentford that they they are up against it based based on what we know about their depth. One interesting lineup choice is going to be this would be an ideal time to have had Fabio or Big Sassy start up front. Well, Fabio's gone. I. Would be surprised if they threw Sasa out there just because he might be on the move and they don't want to take the chance of him getting hurt. I don't know. So is this another Cunha game, Danny? Yeah, I think it has to be. I, I just think, you know, we, uh, we're going to have almost a whole week between games, which is not a luxury that we've had recently. I know that the players got a day or two off, but still they're going to have plenty of time to recover and in addition, there's a couple of weeks break after this, as long as you don't end up in a replay. Um, and I think that the club just announced that they're going to to Abu Dhabi for some warm weather training. Uh, must be nice. Um, <laughs> you know, I just think there's not really a reason to to rotate a lot. You know, you look at like the way Brentford might respond and say like, well, they're they're not quite yet in a relegation uh, battle, but they're getting close, and so there's a decent reason to ro- to rotate. But when you consider that the next game that we have isn't until the 22nd, and instead you've got you know two weeks worth of training where you can manage you know the load that the players have, I just don't really see a reason to do any unnecessary rotating except to give players minutes. So it's like it's different from having to limit their minutes. I don't see a reason to limit a player like Cunha's limits uh minutes but i do see a reason to give a player like santi bueno minutes um because or or uh or doherty you know players like that or bubakar triore players that um that haven't gotten a ton of minutes yet but but might uh we might find it useful to give them some time um so i mean like paul i think you know it's going to be something similar you know you're going to see santi bueno come in you're going to see Possibly Matt Doherty come in. Uh, probably see Bubakar Traore. We won't see Bubakar. Oh, that's right. Bubakar is going to yeah. be gone, of course. Yeah. So we won't see Bubakar. We'll see. Uh, we'll see Tommy Doyle hopefully, because actually he looked really great against Everton. So. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of Tommy Doyle here uh, this month, which is not a bad thing. Paul, do you kind of think maybe our lack of depth might actually help make an FA Cup run? Because of the fact that 
we I think don't so. have those. Yeah, he's yeah, he's he's effectively uh, he's effectively got to go for it based on the the hand that's been dealt, and even when you do switch out those players like Iran for a Breno, it could be really good opportunity for him to play himself into form in in a team that's that's doing well, and he hasn't hit his heights that we've seen him previously, but game time's important and the these big games these opportunities can help bring bring you into form so it could be the the catalyst for uh, a lot of success well guys let's look at the prediction scoreboard even though wolves got a big 9 points uh we did not come close to that the only one the winner for the week <laughs> was Alex. He got a big three points with the 2-1 Chelsea prediction, uh, or 2-1 Wolves win over Chelsea. Other than that, Danny, you got a point for a win versus Everton. Paul, you had the win versus Brentford, so I got a point. And I got one point for the Everton one. So if we're looking at the standings, Alex has now tied the guest spot uh, with 16 points. Danny, you've got 14 I've got 13, and, and Paul, you really needed this week, and it didn't come through, so you still got seven. But you could have a big week at any point. You just need to go on a run, right? Just like the team. Just like, just the, like team. the team. Just like the team. So, Danny, what we got this week with the Cup? Yeah, we should have been more bold. You know, all of us picked one win out of those three, and that explains <laughs> yeah. exactly what happened. And, and Alex got lucky with the score. That's exactly what happened. And if anybody would have guessed two or three wins, they'd be laughing right now. Um, I think for this one, I feel pretty good about the prediction, you know, whether or not it's a smart prediction or not, who knows. But uh, I, I like a 2-0 like Wolves win. I think Brentford rotate. I think Wolves will rotate a bit, but still, you know, high on a lot of confidence. And a lot of those players are still going to be in there. You're going to have Neto returning. But these games are always weird and cagey because you just come off all these rushed games and uh, you kind of don't know what to do with with all that all that energy and plus going away for, for training afterwards. So 2-0 feels about right. And I would love uh, an away clean sheet. Paul? That was pretty much my my exact prediction and reasoning. So whilst I'd be confident with that happening, I'm going to say that um, it'll be a little... We won't go in there and it, it's got, it'll be a breeze, like a 4-1 result. Um, it'll actually be quite cagey. We'll still win, but it'll be a, a later... 1-0 in the second half win. I think Neto being back really gives Wolves an advantage here. Um, however, it's a cup game, guys, right? Like, we just know we're going to get a stupid replay out of this. So, I'm going to say it's going to be a 1-1 draw, unfortunately. But, at least then we'd get the return back at Molyneux. So, there you go. Okay. Don't, don't put that it's... draw on us. Huh? Don't you put that, <laughs> don't put that on draw me, on us. <laughs> okay, Danny. We got no stupid questions? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we didn't put the 
the language that we normally use for no stupid questions in the show notes. So uh, no stupid questions the time that you uh, sent us questions. <laughs> uh, you can reach out to us on on Twitter. That's WLWpod on on Twitter or X. Please don't don't message us if you call it X though. That's that's a no no. Um, you can also reach out at uh, hello at wholeloutofwolves.com. Our first no stupid question comes from Steve Young on Twitter, who says, uh, this one goes back to the Christmas Eve fixture against Chelsea. What was the tactical change that Gary O'Neill made to the team after he told Aiton Nori to feign injury? I think it was around 10 to 15 minutes in. And that is and correct. You said you and know what the change have had somebody was, else. Right, yeah, <laughs> should have had you read it and then ask me. Um, yes, I went back. I remembered I saw a good Twitter thread on this. So I will tell our listeners that um, the user is EBL2017 um, had a good thread on this uh, on Christmas Day. So um, either they don't celebrate Christmas or they're extremely committed to the cause. Uh, but they have a good thread about the game generally, but uh, a, a section of it about the uh, the tactical change. Basically, it seems like it came out of the fact that um, that Chelsea normally sort of play a, a four at the back, sort of a four one five system, and actually they set up three two five, sort of matching us up in a way, um, and that was probably kind of unexpected for for Gary O'Neill. Um, which is why we sort of didn't quite get into the game until that moment. Um, but the change, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a tactical. I, I won't uh, deign to, uh, to figure this all out uh, on my own. You can go look at the thread, but basically it seems like we are sort of reverting to matching them up. And for a lot of the rest of the game, we're sort of um playing a bit more man-to-man. And so uh, that meant that players like Eight Nori were pressing up, you know, sort of extra high, even pressing against their back line, uh, which you would think would leave us a bit open, but it just meant that uh, a lot of times the only options they had were long balls to Broya and uh, and Jackson, which Kilman and Dawson both sort of swept up for the most part, except for a couple little hiccups during that, during that Here's game. Here's an awesome, awesome strategy. Especially, I mean, there's no timeouts, so hey, you kind of got a timeout, got to reset. It was, it was smart. I yeah. thought it was smart that he picked on Aitnuri to do it. Obviously, he was the one who was just coming back from an injury, so you wouldn't be suspicious about it. Yeah. But when he went down, I was like, oh no, I was just I fearing fearing the worst. So he 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 pulled the wool over my eyes perfectly. So. Yeah, I'm sure it had more to do with the fact that Nate Nori is right against the touchline there. But yeah. I, I agree that everybody that I communicate with during a match day uh, had their hearts in their throats because <laughs> we were just like, oh, God damn it. It's Nate Nori again. He's going to be injured. He's going to come off. We're going to have to use a sub in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that cleared up the mystery, although uh, probably not. And go read that thread uh, again. EBL 2017 is where you want to go if you want to see that it's a pretty good thread about the the tactics involved in that game uh the next one is also from twitter from supergran uh at christine wwfc uh did josh pass on the secret goal scoring <laughs> curse beater to gary three games and nine goals it's definitely working 
So look, there were some questions after the last, uh, you know, last podcast because Wolves did get shut out against West Ham. I will now admit, I did not watch that game because I was on death's bed from old fashioned flu. And when I say the old fashioned flu, I do not mean the flu flu. I mean, okay, probably I should have stopped after six old fashions. It may have been the other two or three that that kind of got me there. So. I missed that game. So clearly, it's a combination of both the lemon and the salt, and I better be fucking awake for the game. Uh, now, Nathan right. Judah has responded on the uh, on the video, so it's possible he could have brought it up to Gary O'Neill. Look at this, huh? I mean, the chances are very slim, but Paul and I will get a chance to ask Nathan that potentially this weekend who is going to be in town for Houston for his beloved Washington Huskies. Paul, you think Nathan's going to duck us? No, I think we'll, uh, I think there'll be some good, good selfies on display and maybe, maybe some lemon and salt and tequila involved as well. <laughs> that, that oh, here, Here's my goal. Here's my goal. I want to see if I can get enough drinks in Judah that he will rub his arms or his legs with <laughs> salt and lemon. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> That's my goal. That's I don't know how much it'll take. I haven't drunk with this guy, so we'll we'll see. But you know what? Uh, that could make for some good content for you, right, Danny? Josh, please do not rub any fruit on the visiting Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> what if we go to a Korean place and I rub kimchi? That's different. That's, that's totally different. different. That's that's wishing for good luck for Huang in the Asia Cup where he scores like three hat tricks in the group stage, but they somehow magically lose all of them and have to go home early. So he comes back to us. I would be fine with that. So uh, so, yeah, if if, you know, if Gary hasn't heard about this yet, I'm going to make sure he does hear about it from Judah. <laughs> I'm I'm impressed that you're willing for that to be the first thing that Gary O'Neill knows about you. I mean, what else do I got going for me, guys? Let's be. <laughs> hey, there's, the this podcast, idiot from, there's this idiot from Alabama who lives in Houston who gets drunk on a podcast and talks about <laughs> you all the time. Like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> enough enough said about that. Certainly, uh, the next question we have is from Drew Freakin on Twitter. Um, what do you think Johnny's New Year's resolution is? And with Fabio and Frazier out on loan, can Wolves afford to loan Big Sassy as well? Um, so those are two pretty separate questions. Uh, <laughs> Paul, what do you think Johnny's New Year's resolution is? Uh, I think he'll be like um, one of those guys who's like, the past is in the past and... And let's move forward. And I think his his New Year's resolution will be solely based around trying to find a new club. Um, I think that Johnny's New Year's resolution could be summed up in one word: Gusfraba. From anger management. You're gonna have to explain that one. From oh, anger okay. management <laughs> with Adam Sandler and uh, Jack Nicholson. And he always, to get him to calm down, he'd have him say Goose Fraba. So there we go. I think Johnny needs, you know, 
just to simmer down a little bit. Uh, maybe he'll go somewhere where there's like, you know, a good supply of CBD or something. I don't know. Something to just take the edge off of him. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, it's been a long time since college. I haven't looked up the, the states of legality in, in Europe and <laughs> where, where it might be available or not. Yeah, for the second question, it, you, they can't afford them, loan them out until they get in somebody. There's no way. Paul, you agree? Um, I I think they could be, I think they could be moving parts in place that may see him leave. And and if he does leave before anyone else comes in, I think that's just more of a a confirmation that something something's happening and something's imminent. So. I could see it, but not too much of a a, a time like between the two. Who would be yeah. the who would be the backup number nine? Only wrong answers accepted, Paul. Um, <laughs> I've got mine. I've got my answer. I've totally oh, got has, my answer. Um, mine's got to be for for his winner versus Chelsea. It's got to be Doherty. That's the answer. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Oh. Yeah. I had Toad. I thought Cody find... as well. But how can, how can we fit? How can we fit? Um, how can we fit Tom King and Swans in though as well? I was just gonna say because did you see um... that goalie? That goalie in like Scotland? Yeah. yeah, the Scottish Championship. Josh, did you see this? Yes, that was so, nuts. Uh, yeah, in the I guess for people who didn't see it, go look up a video. But uh, Abroath, I hope I'm doing justice to that. No. Uh, who are in the Scottish Championship uh, had no more um, had no more players on their bench who were not goalkeepers and had to make a substitution. So they put on a goalkeeper as a striker, and that guy scored <laughs> probably scored a goal that their striker would have been jealous of. <laughs> Talk about worldies, and then there's you're a second string goalkeeper in the Scottish Championship scoring. Uh, I think it was an equalizer from like uh, 30 yards out easily. It was stunning. Banger. Banger. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, on to the last question, which is from a good friend of the pod, Stu, on Twitter. Uh, on the back of the UFL news, would you watch a summer series of soccer if it was uh, for players who were free agents and or youth team kids who hadn't broken through yet? And I will admit, I had to Google UFL. I hadn't oh. realized that we were still trying to make XFL, UFL things happen. That's just because you don't live in Houston, home of the Houston Roughnecks. Hold it down, baby. <laughs> woo -woo. Uh, what's, what's my local team? You don't have one. You don't have one. <laughs> Although I guess you could argue <laughs> the uh, Washington Commanders is that quality. <laughs> is basically the XFL. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I don't think I'd watch it. <laughs> I mean, uh, I already got MLS during the summer. That's enough for me. Um, I know you would watch it, though. Well, I think here's the thing. I... I think that as a paying prospect for American fans, probably not a great idea because especially free agents are Americans tuned in enough to European soccer to know all the various players, even if they're relatively famous like David De Gea and then like want to go pay to see them. But what about 
about like recently retired players, you know, all cobbled together. You wouldn't have enough for a league, but you have like two teams. So it's like, did, did Zlatan actually retire or is he still going? You have your, you know, your Zlatans and whatever. And it's just cobbled together into like the most unwatchable team ever uh, <laughs> against some other similar team. Would you watch that, Paul? It, it It's stretching it. There was, oh man. There was one that Sky used to show during the summer uh, of like veterans and legends indoor. Um, someone will get in touch, probably Stu, to remind me what it was called, but it's been been that long ago. And I would always watch that religiously because it was very regionalized. So that Wolves legend team would play a West Brom, Coventry, Villa. Birmingham all in that pool so you had that little competition in there and then I always thought man if we if we won that tournament that was that was what was going to happen in real life for the actual team and it, it never worked out that way I'm sure Wolves won it the, like at least one time um so may, maybe something like that we we're verging on that a little with this line the the seven on seven tournament in uh mm-hmm. in the uh where was it now? Near Charlotte, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That in, in that part of the world. So I I, I don't think that that would capture the imagination. But if it was something like, I, I, I don't know how they could do it in a way, like if it did tour abroad during the pre-season, but still somehow kept the, kept the name of the, the team, or some association mm-hmm. with it, like the yeah um, when when LA Wolves came over, you know, back mm-hmm. back to that mm-hmm. type of setup. Maybe, maybe there's some possibility there, but yeah, I still think it'd be too too diluted to really capture the imagination. The only thing that could save that league would be if Richmond, Virginia, had one of the teams, and it was Richmond FC. Richmond and- Greyhounds. Yep that 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 would at least get viewers watching for one game, but could be yeah. enough to pay for the league. Honestly, put Jason Sudeikis on the sideline, mm-hmm. start printing money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at Wrexham. No, nobody knew who Wrexham was before. Now people go there and just you know buy Wrexham <laughs> stuff. That's it for no stupid questions. Um, I guess uh, Alex usually says that you can always reach us at hello at whole lot of wolves or out on X on X or Twitter or whatever. So do that. Send send me questions or memes. Uh, come back, Alex. Come back soon, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that, he he's definitely earned that producer title there, huh? <laughs> you don't know how hard it is. Yeah, right. Behind the scenes. <laughs> So that does, in fact, bring this week's show to an end. We're going to be back early next week to review that Brentford game. Take a look at what's happening in those days with the transfer window being open before that long, long break again. So thanks to Danny on the socials, Alex for such sterling work in his uh, junior vice president of producing capacity. He's got another promotion. And in the meantime, for everyone out there, let's keep that momentum going. We're up for the cup. 
so it's up the mighty wolves. Oh, <laughs>